Welcome back to the Beyond Macros podcast. We are the Sustainable Transformation Nutrition Coaches, and our show will help you get leaner and perform better in a way that lasts with episodes about nutrition, recovery, and the all-important art of inner work. This week's show is a special edition because I just have so many lessons to share from doing the 10,000 calorie challenge with my friends Raf and Lockie from the Mind Muscle Project. And we also did it with a friend and client, Corey Pitts from Plus Fitness and Performance. And it's funny because next week's show will be about how to lower your environmental impact through diet without going to extremes or even needing to be vegan. Flying 1,000 kilometers to eat 10,000 calories this past weekend was definitely not the way to achieve that goal of lowering environmental impact, but it is a way that I was able to learn these lessons that I can now teach you. But before we dive into the show, I have a message for you nutrition coaches who are listening. I recently announced to a select audience that we now have a Beyond Macros certified coach program designed to teach you how to create VIP experiences for your one-on-one clients so that each of them feels like your only client without getting burnt out. The program is also designed to help you use online tools to deliver more value to your clients while reducing your administrative work, even if you only work with people in person at the moment. We will also be teaching you the business systems you need to have in place to attract and serve your ideal clients online. There is a lot in this program that we'll be going over, and you can learn more about it and apply at beyondmacros.com slash certification. I will be taking 10 people through the beta program, which will be half-priced and start April 15th. Friday, April 5th is the last day to apply for the Beyond Macros Certified Coach Beta Program, and as of this recording, I have the applications to fill the available spaces, but I'd love for you to apply if you are right for the program. Just because I have enough applications to fill the spots, I am being very selective and want the right coaches in this program. And if anyone I invite to be a part of the program declines their invitation for any reason or fails to pay their deposit, you can still get on the wait list to fill those spots as long as you apply before the program starts on April 15th. So if you're listening to this after April 5th, apply anyway. Head on over to beyondmacros.com slash certification to apply today. Now let's get into the episode. For those of you who don't know, I was recruited by my friends Raf and Lockie from the Mind Muscle Project to help them complete the 10,000 calorie challenge after an epic fail last time they tried. Hey guys, it's Lockie here from the Mind Muscle Project, one of the successful participants in the 10,000 calorie challenge, round two. So unsuccessful the first time, made some big changes thanks to Matt's help the second time round, and obviously the motivation of having the man himself there was super useful. Leading up to the challenge, I had all of these awesome education points I wanted to touch on throughout the day while we were filming, but it turns out eating 10,000 calories takes all day and all of your time. So I decided to share those lessons with you here on this podcast, mostly because I used teaching these lessons as the justification for doing the challenge. The night before the challenge began, the dread really set in for me. 10,000 calories isn't easy and it didn't serve any of my goals. Part of me wanted to quit before it even started and just go down to Sydney to support Raf and Lockie on their own journey. But ultimately, I went all in and crossed the finish line with the fellas, and I'm so grateful I did participate because of the unexpected lessons that I will also teach you about today. 
So let's start at the beginning. Last year, Raph and Lockie got some bad advice from our mutual friend, I won't say any names, who is a bodybuilding nutrition coach. He told them that fat would slow their rate of gastric emptying and that they should attempt the challenge by eating pretty much all carbs. Unfortunately, even if you ate two and a half kilograms, which is five and a half pounds of pure cane sugar, you would just touch 10,000 calories. Compare that to pure fat, where you'd only have to eat 1.112 kilograms or 2.45 pounds to cross the 10,000 calorie threshold, and you can see why that carb strategy was a poor strategy. So this year, I made two meal plans, which you can check out in the show notes at beyondmacros.com slash 75. Those meal plans would make it easy to eat 10,000 calories in both a healthy way or a dirty way. Now, the key to eating 10,000 calories is to break all the rules of fat loss. To lose fat without feeling too hungry, you must do the following. You must avoid liquid calories, stick to eating whole nutrient-dense foods, avoid hyperpalatable foods, meaning very tasty or addictive, think the Doritos effect, minimize added fats because it's the least satisfying macronutrient, and lastly, eat slowly until you're satisfied, not full. So to hit 10,000 calories, I created meal plans that broke all those rules. Those meal plans contained lots of liquid calories, including bulletproof coffee, green juice, and ice cream, which is a liquid when melted. The other thing that those meal plans did was I put a lot of processed foods on there. There were no vegetables, there was no fruit, and there were no lean protein sources. Uh, another thing here is that I put heaps of hyperpalatable foods, which are generally a combination of fat and carbs, thinking things like chips, ice cream, candy, burgers, pizza, etc. Uh, we also, on those plans, had lots of added fats. Thinking aioli for fries, we would cook everything in oil or butter. Uh, we used mayo-based sauces on burgers. We ate trail mix, nut butters in our smoothies, things like that. And the last thing that we did to really get over that 10,000 calorie mark in terms of the meals was we ate everything as fast as possible. So our gut didn't have the chance to tell our brain, you're full. One of the meal plans I created was called The Standard. And it was based on the top 10 calorie sources in the average American diet as reported by Harvard. Those 10 sources are one, grain-based desserts, two, yeast breads, not to be confused with yeast spreads like Vegemite. Three is chicken, usually breaded. Four is soda, energy drinks, and sports drinks. Five is pizza. Six is alcoholic beverages. Seven is pasta and pasta dishes. Eight is Mexican dishes. Nine is beef-based dishes. And ten is dairy-based desserts. Aside from breads, sports drinks, and alcohol, most of these top 10 foods contain a large amount of both processed fat and processed carbohydrate in combination. And that combination of fat and carbohydrate makes the foods both so tasty that you keep eating and also so calorie dense you don't realize how quickly you can pass that 1,000 calorie mark in a single snack. Breaking all of the rules of fat loss did help us get over the finish line. And eating the standard American diet definitely made it much easier to get the calories in than eating the healthy ones. 
When I switched from clean foods to the standard foods, I was actually buzzing with energy. I could bust out handstands where I felt much more full in the first half of the day when we were eating much more whole and healthy foods, but in excess. With the whole foods, even calorie-dense ones like trail mix, I felt like I was on the verge of spewing as we rounded out those meals. And that's one of the most unexpected parts about the challenge. I'm great at following a written program. I did it for years as a college athlete and as a competitive CrossFitter. And I thought I would be sticking 90% to the health nut meal plan that I created. But I pretty much had to start eating the dirtier standard foods to keep going after the 3,000 calorie mark. And palate fatigue, essentially a concept where your tongue and your taste starts to get a little bit over a certain flavor, let's say salty or rich, um, that was a real factor as well. Have you ever finished a big dinner and you feel so stuffed you couldn't possibly have another bite of steak, but then dessert rolls around and you eat a whole brownie a la mode? That there is an example of how switching up flavors can lead to overeating. Your palate fatigues on certain tastes, salty, rich, sweet, etc., So by eating something on the other end of the taste spectrum, you can overcome that palate fatigue. Many processed foods not only combine complementary flavors, which delays the onset of palate fatigue, but they also build in that addictive taste quality that tingles the pleasure centers of your brain in such a way that you keep going back for more. I usually hate sweet candy, known as lollies here in Australia. I much prefer chocolate. But after the first pint of ice cream after lunch, I found that 1,000 calories of sour gummy worms was the easiest 1,000 calories of the entire day because of how different it was than the rich, creamy ice cream and the fatty, oily pizza that we had eaten before that. The other thing that majorly delayed my palate fatigue was the herbed mayo that came with my chips at the burger joint. The herbed mayo had about 200 calories in what appeared to be a two-tablespoon serving. Between a small-ish tray of chips and two servings of sauce, I crushed about 1,000 calories, and I could have kept going. This was 9,000 calories in. Lockie also took away some lessons from the chip dip experience. So using those chip dips, that's an easy 200 calories per dip, and the dips are small. They're small. I mean, you can get through a whole dip in like five or six chips if you're being generous. So, so many hidden calories there that you just don't really consider until you're counting everything that goes into your body and you're trying to maximize all the calories that go into your body. One thing that absolutely blew my mind was how little fiber I ate. I knew the number would be low because I was avoiding produce, which generally contains a good amount of fiber. And I was also eating lots of fats, which contain no fiber. Yet I only managed to consume 18 grams of fiber in 10,000 calories. That's nothing. Compare that to a whopping 655 grams of sugar by the end of the day. I also made some really interesting and unexpected observations about my body. I found it quite difficult to belly breathe because of the full stomach. I was also hunching my shoulders, rounding my upper back, and breathing into my shoulders and chest. This chest and shoulder breathing is a stress response breath. A good old feed and breathe breath drops deep into the pelvic floor. I wasn't getting anywhere near that depth of breathing. 
This leads me to believe that people who habitually overeat are unfortunately in a sympathetic nervous system state during digestion where you would want to be in the parasympathetic feed and breed rest and digest state. I stayed with a friend who is a Czech level four practitioner and lecturer the following night after the challenge, and he pointed out that the pancreas and the liver are innervated via the very point in the thoracic spine, the T9, where my back was the most rounded or kyphotic for people following the nerd trail. He postulated that in addition to the sympathetic nervous system state that that chest and shoulder breathing would put you in, digestion would be further hindered by the fact that your body position might make it more difficult for your body to be sending signals to the organs necessary to digest that massive bolus of food you just shoved through your digestive tract. Just another reason to eat until you're satisfied, not full. One thing I 1,000% expected to experience was consistent food comas throughout the day. But the constant supply of carbs to the brain had me absolutely pinging. We walked over 24,000 steps, did a bodyweight workout, biked, and even body surfed. I was busting out handstands all day. I was so energetic, and it makes sense because calories are energy. The only time in the day I thought I was going to go into a food coma was after chugging a Gatorade, which was a terrible idea considering we were past the 5,000 calorie mark at that point. Lockie also made some unexpected observations about the role of liquids in our experience. Some of the biggest takeaways and changes that I made from the first time was uh, very little caffeine. Caffeine is an appetite suppressant, uh, so we consumed far less caffeine this time. I thought maybe because it is acidic and it is bitter that it would aid digestion the first time around, but that, even though that might be slightly true, it's not outweighed by the fact that it does suppress your appetite. So getting rid of caffeine was an important one. The other one was actually drinking water with food. So <clears throat> let's take, for example, a uh, the pizza that we ate. Now, the pizza was really easy during you know the, the first part of the slices, but it gets really difficult towards the end of a slice as you get towards the crust, as the oil dries up, as your mouth dries up, as you get sick of consuming that same thing over and over and over again. Using water as opposed to any other liquid is just much easier to wash it down with. If you do it with like something fizzy like a soft drink, what you'll find is it'll actually, the bubbles will build up and it'll bloat you and it'll make it harder to to eat. So using water to wash food down as you get to the end is, is actually a good tactic and it's what all the speed eating champions do. So learn a lesson from them. Lastly, I experienced less of a thermic effect than expected. And what I mean is if you've ever heard the term meat sweats, that effect is likely because protein has a very high thermic effect. Essentially, a good deal of the energy and protein is lost to heat as your body is processing the proteins to be assimilated into your tissues. I did eat a ton of protein, 340-ish grams in total, but early in the day, most of my food came from fats, which have almost no thermic effect. So I wasn't heating up from the inside via this thermic effect of food until we started crushing more protein and carbohydrate later in the day. Now, everyone was interested in the aftermath of this challenge. I had at least six people ask in my Instagram DMs about the pain level and volume of my bowel movements. What ended up happening is not as dramatic as people imagined. I pretty much went from two up to four bowel movements in a day, 
And they were all quite normal in terms of single sitting volume. The interesting thing is I fasted for a full 48 hours after the challenge, yet I was still hyper-regular during that period. What I did find interesting was that my urine smelled sweet the day after the challenge, which apparently is something diabetics with uncontrolled blood sugar can experience, which makes sense considering I consumed 655 grams of sugar. Going back to the fasting comment I made, my body did not send one signal that it wanted to invite food in until about the 48-hour mark. I had some bone broth initially to break the fast before resuming my normal dietary patterns. One of my goals with the fast was to starve out any overgrowths of yeast or bacteria that would have thrived on the opportunity to feed on the excess sugar I was consuming. After the fast and the oregano oil, I did experience a Herxheimer effect, which occurs when yeast and other microbes die off. They release some toxins when they die, which can cause brain fog and a bit of soreness at the low end of the spectrum, all the way up to full-on flu symptoms in extreme cases. My effect essentially had me quite lethargic on Tuesday and Wednesday. We did the challenge on Saturday. I took this as a cue that that overfeeding probably did create a bit of an overgrowth, and so I continued to intermittent fast and eat low FODMAPs for the rest of the week. I'll post the low FODMAPs infographic in the show notes at beyondmacros.com slash 75 so you can see what I'm talking about. Essentially, it's just a diet that limits and eliminates many fermentable foods. Overall, the negative effects from the challenge were minimal. I had a short-term weight gain of 3.1 kilograms, so about 7 pounds, and maintained 2.2 kilograms, about 5 pounds of that gain, the following day. But following 48 hours of fasting and hyper-regular bowel movements, I weighed less the morning after I broke my fast than I did going into the challenge. Overall, the 10,000 calorie challenge was a positive experience that I will never do again. I learned what I needed to learn, I taught what I needed to teach, and I enjoyed some quality time with my friends. If you're interested in watching the full video, I linked it up in the show notes along with all of the other resources I've mentioned, including the meal plans from the challenge and the low FODMAPs infographic. Just head on over to beyondmacros.com 75 to check those out. And again, if you're a nutrition coach who is already working with clients and you want to improve your processes, business systems, and the value you're able to deliver to your clients, head on over to beyondmacros.com certification to learn more about the new Beyond Macros Certified Coach program. Thanks again for listening and make sure to subscribe to the show because next week I will actually be bringing you the episode I promised about how to reduce your environmental impact through diet without going full vegan. If you've listened to this far, thank you for being a super fan. I want to wrap up with a shout out to Scotty S who left us a review on iTunes for the show and also signed up for one-on-one coaching. Scotty said, I am busily catching up on one and a half years of this incredible podcast. It's helping me learn the basic lingo and tips for somebody who isn't a gym rat or an ex-college athlete so far. Love, love, love the episode on stretching and the discussion of overall nutrition in one's day. Go, Matt, go. Thanks, Scotty. Much love, everybody, and I look forward to seeing you again next week.